Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us again this week. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message with Senior Pastor Broderick Santiago. If you'd like to learn more information about this ministry, we encourage you to visit our website, www.wearemosaicchurch.org. It was a woman who said, the tomb's empty. He is not here. And went and told the disciples, who, by the way, were all off hiding. They were off hiding. So today we hear a lot about this term biblical womanhood, and we hear it a lot of times in the context of the white evangelical space. But I want to share with you this morning that we see it in the black church space too. Uh, We just don't call it the same thing. We have conferences on the Proverbs 31 woman. We have conferences and Bible studies about Titus 2. And today I want to share with you a little bit about Titus 2, reading it from the perspective of what Paul actually intended. Um, we have this idea of biblical womanhood that's out there in the world. And we're talking about, this is a continuation of, of Pastor B's series on bad religion. So that's, that's the perspective I'm looking at. How have we jacked up biblical womanhood and made it bad religion? So much so that there's people who won't come to church. They won't listen to Christians. They don't want to hear the message that we have to say because they think, biblical womanhood because they hear what others are out there saying and but but what we the definition that i found on biblical woman let me share that with you uh focuses on glorifying motherhood and homemakers uh submissive passive loving wives or women in general and i think that in glorifying that all good things but i think we're missing the gospel yeah and We won't bring this text up, and and I don't have a whole lot of Bible verses for you guys today. I know those of you who are usually in our Bible study are shocked on that one. Um, But I really want to point out how, I want to focus on the things that that we should be focusing on and highlight that, and not highlight all the controversial things. Um, So I want to focus on, I want you to write down if you're taking notes, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. You can look it up later. But that's the verse where Paul writes, uh, talking about the gospel, that there is neither slave nor free, male nor female. We go all the way back to Genesis and what Jesus refers to in Matthew 19 when he talks about marriage. See, the thing that we get messed up in the church a lot of times in our American context is we get caught up and focused on patriarchy and we call it a new word, complementarianism, um, to hide the fact that it's really just patriarchy and it's a power trip. 
And I think there's a spiritual battle right now over history. It's in the news every day. There are people shutting down critical race theory without even looking up what the definition is. There are people shutting down the 1619 Project. That professor did a lot of hard work in the historical uh, research to find out what really happened. And there are people who are saying right now, forget about it, don't remember. Yesterday was the anniversary of the Tulsa massacre, but the people that were supposed to get reparations from that 20 years ago still haven't gotten their reparations. Come on, come on, guys. There's a spiritual battle right now in our context over history, over what people remember. And the irony of that is that in God's word, God told the children of Israel what? After he delivered them from free, uh, out of slavery in Egypt. Don't forget what I did for you. Remember this. Tell your children in your coming and your going. But what we've done is we have cherry-picked verses and told people, women, they are less than a child of God. When God, as, as my husband pointed out, pulled us from the side of Adam, not from his feet, not from his head, from his side. And when you look at the actual Hebrew words for the, in that whole context in Genesis, it doesn't say anything about the man being in authority over the woman. We got that messed up. Now, I don't have time today to go into a whole exegetical thing about the word in Hebrew for help me, but trust me, what we think it says is not what it says. Why? Because we're reading an English translation. They didn't speak English in the first century. They spoke Greek and Hebrew. And so the Greek, so when we talk about the Bible being inerrant, when people say, oh, I can't deal with the Bible, I don't want to talk to those Christians because they got, you know, it's all screwy. When we talk about the Bible being inerrant, we're talking about the Greek and the Hebrew language that it was originally written in. But many of us, you know, if you speak another language, no, that stuff gets lost in translation. Did you know there are nine we have nine English words for the fruit of the spirit. We make songs about it in Sunday school. Some of us know it. We sing it. I've taught it to my kids. Uh, we watch little videos on it. But there's one word in the Greek that Paul used to cover those nine. We miss it sometimes. We really need to take the time to do that. And so this so-called new history of feminism or the war on culture in the family is actually just a post-World War II construct. Somebody made that up. Somebody made it up for political power. We're here in Georgia, and so we know about uh, the former president, Jimmy Carter, for example. He teaches Sunday school. He's, he's Captain Christianity, right? He's, he's got that. But when he was in office, the people who were the so-called religious folks chose somebody else to follow because they were looking at their money, their power, their white supremacy, and then they, 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 they told women that they couldn't do what they needed to do anyway. The war on culture is a made-up thing. The war on the family is also a made-up thing. So the thing that we have to really look at and focus on is what does the Bible actually say? What if Paul, Apostle Paul, was just being sarcastic? What if it goes over our heads and we miss it because we don't know the history? And really, let me start here with this, or continue here with this. 
I heard this analogy the other day that I really, really like. Y'all know, some of y'all know I like analogies. They talked about the counterfeit dollar. If you've ever watched anything, I've taken my kids over to the Treasury uh, downtown and stuff. It's the people who focus on counterfeit money, they study the true money. They don't study all the fake variations of how the money could possibly look. They pull out the dollar and they say, this is what it's supposed to look like. And if any of these things are missing, it's counterfeit. Why don't we do that as Christians with God's word? And, and here's the thing, speaking of, of God's word, the early Christians focused on their witness. There were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't have the Bible that we have. And then the Gentile Christians, which is people who were not Jewish, ethnically Jewish, did not know anything about what was in the Old Testament. So for the first couple of centuries, you had letters floating around, Paul's letters, you had the gospels floating around, but any given church may not have had all of that. So what did they have? They had the eyewitness account. God says, remember, teach, tell your children how I've brought you through, tell your friends. That's how Christianity spread. People followed a resurrected Jesus. They said, I saw this guy teaching. I heard what he had to say. I saw him get executed, and then a few days later, I saw him walking around talking to folks, eating and teaching and hanging out. That's a story to share. That's a story to tell. So for the first few hundred years, until somebody put it all together, that's all we had. And then from that, they developed something called creeds. So if you're taking notes, Go ahead and Google later the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Some church traditions still teach that. They have to say it every Sunday in their service. But it is a reminder of what I believe. One of my favorite podcasts out there is the Jude 3 Project. They're focused on apologetics, defending the faith. And their tagline is, know what you believe and why. Know what you believe and why. The early Christians knew what they believed and they knew why they believed it. And the way that we end up with bad religion today, the way we end up with this crazy definition for biblical womanhood today is because we don't know what we believe and we don't know why we believe it. And we don't know our history. And we don't even know our history of the last 50 years. People would have you believe that some of the things that are happening right now are new. They're not new. Um, but the, they present it that way. And so that's why I think there's a spiritual battle over history right now versus the 1619 Project versus the 1776 Project. Propaganda versus the truth. Uh, people just finding out about Juneteenth last year. Right. People right. just finding out uh, that the slaves that their family owned weren't necessarily happy. Right. Um, <laughs> people, and, and, and got the nerve to stand there on CNN and go, well, my family owns slaves. <laughs> but they were happy and we took good care of them. There's a problem with thinking I need to take care of people because I feel like I am better than them. But what did Jesus say? And this goes back to Genesis. Jesus points this out all the time in the gospel. So your homework this week, read all four gospels. Read all four gospels. What did Jesus actually say? And And then the reason that's important is because when Jesus talked to men and when he talked to women, he shared theological truths. He corrected 
things that had gotten culturally screwed up over time. When Jesus came on the scene in the first century, there were nine different factions of Judaism because of power, economics, political issues, um, just flat out disagreements on how they thought they should interpret God's word and how people should live. There were people on the whole spectrum, left, right, crazy, and not so much, violent and nonviolent. But when Jesus came along and he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard, you have been taught. What is he doing? Critical thinking. He's saying, listen, you heard it this way, but that's not what God meant. You heard that it was this way. And so Pastor B preached on that the last few weeks when he went through the Sermon on the Mountain. So I won't take the time to go through all of that. But two words I want you to take away and I'm going to Jason's going to put them up on the screen for us. And the host team have these uh, words in the notes is eisegesis and exegesis. If you've been in our Bible study, and by the way, download our Mosaic Mableton mobile app. There's a teaching on the video section about how to study your Bible where I explain this stuff in more detail. But eisegesis and exegesis. Reading into the text using your worldview and cultural filter is eisegesis. Starting with the author's intent and asking a few questions, objective questions about the text is exegesis. And so when someone is presenting God's word from an exegetical point of view, they've done their homework. They've asked questions like who wrote the text? Who is, it, who is the intended readership? What is the context of the text? How does it fit in the author's larger thought process, purpose, or argument in the chapter and book where it resides? Is the choice of words or wording or word order significant in this particular passage because it wasn't written in English to start with? You know, in English, when we teach grammar, it's subject, verb, object. But in other languages, sometimes it's object, verb, subject. And so if we don't know what the word order was supposed to be or if it even mattered, by the way, All the chapter numbers and punctuation and paragraphs and headings in your Bible, somebody made that up. Now, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. We've got to have structure. But in ancient Greek, they just flowed. That's why when you see signs and and, and things written, when you see the history documentaries and the ancient Greek is on the walls, it looks like this. It's just a big run-on sentence. You don't know what it says. You know why? Because we don't know where the stopping points are because we're not versed in Greek grammar. We're not versed in Hebrew grammar. Hebrew's written backwards from our perspective. You ever see a Hebrew Bible? It starts at the back and goes forward. Hebrew letters you read from the right to the left, not the left to the right. And then later somebody, anyway, word order matters. When was the text written? Why was it written? We need to look at all these things. So I like to hang out on social media and I'm very particular about who, who I follow and what I follow because I believe that what we put into our minds affects us. Um, I heard, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and, and the guy said, I wish somebody would do a doctoral dissertation on the effect of social media on our theology. Mm. Not for me, but I thought it was interesting. So I want to share with you something that I saw on Twitter a while back. And the person who wrote it, his name is Timothy Isaiah Cho. And I don't think I actually follow him. I think somebody else I follow follow him, him, follows him and 
reposted his tweet, but I screenshot it, and I want to share with you uh, what he said. He said, the Bible is full of strong, independent, and influential women. In fact, the Bible seems to depict more women who are like that than the paragon of womanhood espoused by many complementarians. In fact, a cursory reading of biblical women who are commended for their character and actions would include a woman who drove a tent peg into the skull of an enemy leader. A woman who led Israel as a mighty judge, a queen who risked her life for the sake of her people, a priestess who helped lead a revival of, confident, of covenant fidelity, a wife who led her husband to disciple Apollos in the way of Jesus, and of a woman who basically proposed to a kinsman redeemer for the sake of her mother-in-law's family line. Wow. Women who were present at the crucifixion of our Lord when nearly all of the disciples fled in fear, a woman who hand-delivered Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And there's more to this, but I want to pause right there. The woman who hand-delivered that letter to the church in Rome, her name was Phoebe. Paul calls her out at the end of the letter uh, uh, to Rome, uh, Romans, and you see her name in Romans chapter 16. Phoebe was a deacon in the church. Do you know there are English translations where they just write her down as servant? They diminish who she is. Why? I, I, I don't know. I'm going to let you all guess on that one. But I also want to point out that Phoebe carried the letter, the message that, in, that included the words that nothing will keep us from God's love. And I made a note about that, and that's why I'm pausing right here, because Pastor B just said that after Tracy saying reckless love. Those words were carried by a woman. Paul wrote it. He gave it to Phoebe, but she just wasn't the male deliverer. She had to stand there and explain it to the people when she got there because that was expected of any letter carrier at the end of any one of the letters you see in the New Testament. Who are these people's names? We don't, we don't, Teach Sunday school about these people in the New Testament, we focus on what's going on in the Old Testament because it's easy for us because the Old Testament was a patriarchal society. In the Old Testament, there is no Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. There is no male or female, free and, and slave. There is no, uh, there's no equality. There's equality before the fall. But the equality, but after the fall, that's what Jesus was here to reconcile. Anyway, I'm, 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 let me finish. So, so Phoebe hand delivers Paul's letter to Rome, and Timothy goes on to say that there's an interpretive principle, and I'm going to mess this up because it's in Latin, analog fide, um, whereby you interpret more difficult passages by the clear passages. It would seem more than reasonable to take these narratives and endorsement of biblical women as the clear passages that tell us what faithful womanhood looks like prior to interpreting these passages about women having a gentle and quiet spirit. Can, they cannot mean something contradictory to these women, to these biblical examples of faithful women. Furthermore, by taking this approach, it can be clearly seen that complementary interpret interpretations of womanhood are more shaped by cultural assumptions that come from early to mid 20th century white American society than biblical precedents. It's as if they take several passages about womanhood and see it through the grid of 1950s white suburbia and then reinterpret biblical narratives about faithful and strong women in order to make them fit this invented idea of womanhood 
it is an eisegesis par excellence. So, real quick here, because I see my timer is going. I want to share with you a couple of things about deconstructing your inherited beliefs. Deconstructing your inherited beliefs. You've probably heard preachers say that your faith in Jesus has to be your own faith. You can't slide in on your grandmother's faith. But a lot of us have faith in something that is more cultural than the gospel. Uh, Pastor B preached on this uh, almost two years ago now, uh, the unsaved Christian. It's cultural Christianity. It's what my podcast is about. It's, there's, there's, we have to pause and deconstruct these inherited beliefs that are not scripturally based. We have to look at the counterfeit dollar and compare it to the real thing. If, if the verse that says women have to be silent in church, if the verse says that the men have to run the show, we have to stop and question that and say, what else did Paul write? What else did he say? What did Jesus say? Forget Paul for a moment. What did Jesus say? In the, tw- in, in, in the Middle Ages, they didn't even think about Paul. We don't hear about Paul talking about women being silent until uh, the, I was about to say the last century, but that's the last, last century, until the late 1800s, until the 19th century. Mm. We don't even hear theologians talking about Paul. And, and coincidentally, when we start hearing, seeing theologians writing about Paul, what Paul had to say about women being silent and, and being submissive, which is not actually the Anyway, what it says in the Greek. But when we see that is right at the beginning of the women's suffrage movement. See, my historian's nodding her head. Shout out to the history nerds, history channel on lock. I know, it's corny. My kids are cringing right now. Assuming any of them are even listening. Um, but the, we, we have to look at what does the Bible actually say. There are people right now that you probably know or you yourself watching us online right now who have questions about what you believe and nobody to ask because we don't teach it. Let me share with you something that's, that's cultural that's got us all screwed up. Aristotle and the household codes, household codes. When we talk about deconstructing our inherited beliefs, why do, does our American school system, see, some people think I homeschool my kids because I'm trying to be that biblical woman. No, I'm homeschooling my kids because they teach them wrong stuff in the school. Amen. They spend too much time on Greek mythology and then got the nerve to sit here and be upset if somebody talks about Hinduism or Jesus or Judaism. It's crazy. It's like, I don't, if you're going to teach somebody else's religion, teach them all. Because if you don't teach them all, then I don't know what's counterfeit to God, to what I believe. My kid won't know what's counterfeit if they don't at least have a cursory understanding of what their friend believes. I can't deconstruct my cultural beliefs if I don't know anybody else's culture. And that was the thing about the early Christians, that they they were hospitable. One of the things people talk about Mosaic when they come with like pre-pandemic is that we're really friendly people. And we are, although Miss Norma takes the cake. But it's her spiritual gift. It's friendly. But 
it's, but they were hospitable. Why? Because they welcomed people from other cultures because they understood. It was a metropolitan kind of way, place in the Roman, uh, Roman lifestyle, the Roman culture. They, they were very, um, it was a very pluralistic society. They allowed people with other cultures to share what they had. They were willing to listen. But we want to come in and tell people, no, you got to do it this way. But anyway, Aristotle and the household codes. Did you know that Aristotle believed the female body was deformed? I am made in the image of the almighty God. I am not deformed. But see, Aristotle didn't know that. You know why? Because he wasn't Jewish. He was pagan. And so when, he's, when we interpret God's word through Aristotle and Greek mythology and Greek philosophy, then we come out thinking we're deformed. There's something wrong with me that I've got a tiny brain. That is not true. In the household codes, and, and Pastor B and I were talking about this, we probably need to come back and just do a bad religion talk about marriage. But the household codes, household codes are based on Aristotle's beliefs. Paul is talking through that context, that cultural context, when he is talking to the church at Ephesus. When he is saying, uh, submit to one another, wives sub, uh, submit to your husbands, and, and, and husbands love your wives, and slaves you know, don't steal from your masters, and all this stuff. He's talking through their cultural context. It would be like us writing scripture today trying to explain a Zoom meeting without explaining what a Zoom meeting is. In Ephesus, there was the cult of Artemis, and it's the largest pagan temple in Ephesus. So when Paul is writing about women be silent, he was being specific about one. Yes. Because in the cult of Artemis in Ephesus, that was the pagan religion. So when he's when in discipleship, when we are helping people deconstruct their inherited belief system, we have to talk to them where they're at. Yes. Where they're at, it's like you have this whole other thing going on here. So it doesn't mean that, that we can't find application in our world and context today, but we need to learn a bit more about who Paul's audience was before we go off making assumptions that women should be silent or submissive. And what does the Great Commission say? When we talk about know what you believe and why, Jesus tells us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, he says, you know, I have all power in my hands, uh, teach people my commandments, but we get caught up on the going and the making, like we need to go pound somebody over the head with a Bible. And, and Jesus didn't say that. What is teaching God's commands? In the original language, in the Greek, the focus grammatically is on the teaching part. Yes. And what Jesus said do. So one of the phrases that I really love from the book Irresistible by Andy Stanley, that came out a few years ago is take your cue from the covenant God made with you. God made four covenants. Take your cue from the, from the covenant God made with you. God made four covenants, partnerships in the Old Testament. And Jesus fulfilled them in the New Testament. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, I fulfilled it. And then on the cross, he says, it is finished. Uh, when we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21, 
um, Paul is talking about the fact that we're under a new covenant. We're new covenant believers. The New Testament, the word testament means covenant, that we're, this is, the, that's the old one, this is the new one. The old one is there, the old covenant is there to be descriptive, not prescriptive. We're new covenant followers of Jesus Christ. We don't want to take our cues on how to live as a Christian from people who were not Christian. The Old Testament points to Jesus, and I don't have time today to go into all of those details, but, but understand that we spend way too much time hanging out in the Old Testament trying to figure out how to live like Jesus instead of reading the Gospels and seeing what Jesus said do. What did Jesus, how did the early church interpret that? Read Ephesians, read Galatians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. All of that was about how to say, take what Jesus taught, his commands, and then live it out in the context of a pagan society, a pagan world, which is what we have right now. So Jesus didn't say, do what Moses said. Jesus said, teach my commandments. I am God. I am the truth. I am the life. You will live life more abundantly through me. What did Jesus actually say? He said, love God. He said, love one another. And then he also said, love the other. But we have demonized the other in our culture and society. So, and, and, and what did Jesus say? When you think about those people who are demonizing the other in our culture right now, they're demonizing women, saying women want too much, it's, uh, too much feminism and, and all of that. When they do that, the thing that I look at and I think of is John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said, you will know my disciples by what? How they love. If you're not doing and saying things that demonstrate love, and there are people who are not Christ followers who do that better than the church. There are people who are not Christ followers who do a better job at mentoring and discipling because all discipling is, is teaching. But what ends up happening is that we get caught up in trying to make somebody believe what we believe. And we tell them, don't look over here at the history. Don't look at what it actually says. You all, English is the only language you need to learn. Jesus talks about reconciliation. Every time he opens his mouth in the Gospels, he's talking about reconciling us to God's intended order uh, from creation. He references creation. He doesn't say man up here, woman down here. He says creation. How were we created? We were created like this. We were created together. And then we were pulled apart at the side. Uh, Rachel Held Evans wrote, uh, she calls it the Jesus remix. I like that phrasing, the Jesus remix. Jesus comes along and says, eh, remix, we need to fix this. <laughs> and, and, and talking about Corinthians and Paul's letter, I want to share with you just one other hashtag black history moment for you. Some of y'all have heard of Hannibal, the mighty warrior general from the ancient times, Carthage. What if Paul is referencing contemporary literature or historical stories in his, that his original audience would have been familiar with and thus 
us coming along 2,000 years later with no knowledge of the war Rome fought against Hannibal and Carthage in 215 BC, mm. hashtag black history, we don't, uh, we, we don't get the context of Paul's point. We miss Paul's point entirely. Because here's the thing, women being silent is inconsistent with, uh, inconsistent with other places in the same letter where women are encouraged to speak and prophesy and no gender is attached to the activities of ministry in the original Greek. There's no gender attachment there. But we throw gender in there and say only men can preach or only men can lead a church. And that's just not true. It's, it's, it's stressful to think it's not true. Yes, the Bible is inerrant, but in the original languages, not our culturally infused interpretations. What if Paul was quoting a Roman worldview to counter it with a Christian view? Don't we do that when we talk to people? Didn't Jesus do that when he said, you have heard? You have heard it taught in the Sermon on the Mount? He's saying, this is what you thought you knew, but let me explain to you what we really meant. So the last thing I want to share with you about deconstructing inherited beliefs is really about following the resurrected Jesus. When we think about following the resurrected Jesus, we're talking about women like Phoebe. We're talking about women like Priscilla. We're talking about women like Tabitha. And since I don't have any more time, I want you to look their names up. Tabitha is found in Acts chapter 9. And, it's, it, it, and what's interesting about Tabitha is that we have a tendency to just gloss right over Jesus talks in pairs because he understood that there were gendered activities in the culture he was living in. He, in order for us to disciple, in order for us to mentor, in order for us to teach, that's what Titus chapter 2 is about. It's not about just old men teaching young men and old women teaching young women. It's how to make sure that they're given basically the same instructions if we read the whole chapter, but we get caught up on what the women are supposed to do. The men are supposed to show self-control. Women back then walked around in literal blankets compared to what we wear today. And yet they still had a rape culture. Wow. Read Judges. Read the New Testament. If you look at the historical facts, what I have on does not, if you don't have self-control, whether you're male or a female, I can't help you. (laughs) But we don't teach that from a discipleship standpoint. A better word for discipleship in our modern context is mentorship. We all get mentorship. We got, we give to nonprofits for mentorship opportunities. Church today, if you take away nothing else from all of this stuff that I've been all over the place talking about, is in the Old Testament, we learn the character of God. God keeps his promises, but we are under new management with Jesus. We can't look to the women and the stories of the women and men in the Old Testament just for our daily walk. We have to look at what did the early Christians do? And then if we don't understand it, then we need to go on Wikipedia and find out what Roman life was like. What was life like in Philippi? What was life like in Ephesus at the time of Paul when he was writing to understand what people were saying? The Holy Spirit does not contradict God's word. 
and I had somebody ask me that recently. They said, when I was talking a little bit about something else, uh, I was talking specifically about systemic racism, but they, they were like, well, what about the Holy Spirit? And I said, the Holy Spirit's not gonna contradict God's word. So if the Holy Spirit is telling you to treat somebody less than the image of God, then, then that's not the Holy Spirit talking to you. Phoebe, Priscilla, Tabitha, those were just three names. But if you go through the Gospels, let's say you don't have time to read all, of, all the way through the Gospels this week, then just go through, if you can get a paper Bible or even online, look for the names of the women and then read the stories. Because Jesus, for every parable, Jesus gives an example for men and then he gives an example for women. Why? Because he understood he lived in a gendered society. He had to help people deconstruct their inherited beliefs. There were nine different versions of Judaism going around. We have hundreds of different denominations in Christianity today. There's a lot of deconstructing that needs to happen. And there's a lot of people right now who are not following Jesus. They're not following the resurrected Jesus. And they, or they don't want to follow any Jesus. Why? Because they got cultural Christian Jesus. They got white Jesus that looks like Leonardo da Vinci. They got something else. And, and we tend to gloss over the, the names of these women. And, and, and here's the, the thing. In Titus, Paul is writing, and he does this in a lot of his letters, he's writing about false teachers and sound doctrine. It is on us as believers in the true and living God that we have to do, fight that same fight. Jude says it. James talks about it. Uh, Paul writes about it. He's always talking about the false teachers. He's not talking about people saying really wacky and crazy stuff. It was really the people who were showing up with the counterfeit where something was, instead of George Washington's face, it's you know, Ben Franklin on a, $10, uh, on a $1 bill. It's little things. All it takes is little things. And from a biblical womanhood standpoint, it's a, it seems like a little thing, but there's a whole bunch of women right now who are, who are, who are engaging in, in black religious identity culture, mm. waving sage around their house, because we have gotten it wrong. So if you get this, then look at Titus 2 and say, what can we do to mentor better? What can we be doing to disciple better? We have the resources today that we didn't have 10 years ago. We at Mosaic, we have a Facebook group. We have a number of Facebook groups. We have a Facebook group for women, for men, for parents. We have the general members group. And our host team right now can post uh, the link to join the general members group. And from there, we can point you in the direction of any of the other Facebook groups. And you might say, well, I don't like social media. That's fine. You don't need to be on social media all day. But you know what? It is a tool and a resource that we can get sound doctrine, sound teaching out to you that you can then share and mentor other believers in Christ. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. He didn't say just go and make disciples. He said make Disciples, teach. Teach them my commandments. And so if we're following the resurrected Jesus, because that's who we were talking to in the Great Commission, that's the resurrected Jesus. 
That's not Jesus before the cross. That's Jesus after the cross, after the resurrection. He commands us to love one another. He honors faith as our highest calling. Even when the world doesn't value women, Jesus valued women. Jesus stops and talks to women. He talks to women who weren't Jewish. He talks to women and men who were oppressed, who were sick, who needed something from him. And it's okay for us to, as, as women of God, to be influenced by the women of the Old Testament. I'm not saying throw that out. But that's not our, our, our calling to do. We're called to follow the resurrected Jesus. Yes. And so at Mosaic, we're, our, our mission statement, as Pastor B said, is to reach, teach, serve, and love. That's go, disciple, and serve is how we practice our love. And our orthopathy is what we think about our love. And it starts with how we think. That's why Paul writes to the church at Philippi, think on these things that are good. We've got to start there. Amen? Amen. And so anyway, I thank you so much for the word. Uh, we know that the flowers fade and the grass may wither, but the word of God remains forevermore. No matter how you receive it, it remains forevermore. And so it is the word of God that causes transformation. So if you've been watching online or right here in the sanctuary and you're saying uh, that that word, something inside of me just happened. There was some kind of transformation that occurred. I just I feel overwhelming love suddenly. And I just want I want to make a commitment to this thing of what I just heard. If you want to give your life to Christ because of what you've heard. Listen, if you're at home, this is easy for you. You don't have to worry about who's looking. All you have to do right now is just lift your hands up, both hands, as a posture of surrender. Even in the sanctuary, don't worry about who's looking. Nobody, this is between you and God. If you've been touched by what you've heard and you want to make a lifetime commitment to learning the authentic word of God and feeling his authentic love and you want to give your life to Christ, just lift your hands in the air this morning as a posture of surrender. And what you're simply saying is, God, I surrender everything I thought I knew about you. I surrender everything that, 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 that I, I have, my own plans, my own desire. I surrender that to you, and I want to be led by you and you alone. If you want to give your life to Christ, just starts right there. Lift your hands as a posture of surrender. Maybe that's, that's not you. Maybe you're saying, you know what, that word was good. But I, w- I want to rededicate my life because I'm not going to lie. I've, I've heard some false doctrine. I didn't believe that 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 that. God cared about women as much as Pastor E shared and I'm a woman or I'm even a man online and said I want to rededicate my life I want to try this thing one more time but I want to be under some good teaching if that's you lift your hands up as a posture of surrender saying you want to rededicate your life even online and in the sanctuary keep your hand right there I want you to just say this short prayer with me let's solidify this right now here it is Father God forgive me for trusting myself more than I trust you. God, today I give my life to you. God, I press the reset button in my life if I'm rededicating today. God, I realize that apart from you, there's not much I can do, but with you, all things are possible. I believe in my heart today and I confess with my mouth that your son came onto this earth. I believe in my heart today and I confess with my mouth that he died an innocent death for me. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that he didn't stay there, that three days later he rose from an empty tomb. 
And I believe with my, in my heart and I confess with my mouth that he is going to return someday for me. I believe that and I confess that in Jesus name. Amen. If you've said that prayer, I got one shorter, one short thing to say. Welcome to the family. Welcome home. Welcome back. Now, maybe what's missing in your life is this very important part of your faith and your journey. Maybe you're not a part of a family, a fellowship of believers. You know, when God created Adam, he said it was good. When he created the birds and the bees, he said it was good. When he created all of the land, he said it was good. He created Adam. And after a moment, he said, it's not good. So he put Adam to sleep and from his side, he created Eve. And as Pastor E shared with you, side by side you know why he did that not so that he could establish the institution of marriage so that he could establish the institution of partnership we're not meant to walk this earth alone so he god didn't create eve for marriage he created eve for partnership and so if you are a believer and you're not a part of a family you are not in partnership and so if you want to be a part of partnership and be a part of this family today is the day you can do that right on the screen if you're online they're giving you a a link click that link with some next steps to become a member in the sanctuary if you want to become a member of this church there's several ways you can do that there's a a a connection card that i think our our team will have in the back for you on your as you're on your way out fill that out and put that in the box and we'll be in touch with you for some next steps amen are you glad you came to church today I am too. I'm so grateful for that word. Thank you, beloved. That was incredible. I love you so much. Great word. All right. Well, let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this day that you have made. What an incredible encounter with you today. We thank you for every single person online, every single person in the sanctuary, oh God. I pray that as we leave this place not far from your grace, that you would dispatch an army, a legion of heaven's armies to every home of every person represented this morning under the sound of my voice. God, we honor you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. May God bless you. May God keep you. May he turn his face towards you. Have an incredible day. Go in peace. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.